Hello everybody, welcome back to the WTF1 podcast, that time when edition. My name's Matt, and joining me for this wonderful blast back to the past is the WTF1 founder, Tom Bellingham. Um, I'm not I'm not ever having any sort of backlash ever again for not announcing you for what you are, <laughs> to be honest. And everybody forgot, and they will never forget ever again, Tommy. Um, and Katie Bellingham. Katie Bellingham? Oh, wow. <laughs> Katie that Fairman. Makes things Your wife is not yeah, joining us. Makes Katie Fairman, the WTF1 editor, is. Shout out to Katie Bellingham. Yeah, shout out to Your Katie wife. Bellingham. Hope she's well. Hope she's <laughs> probably well. the better but, of the two um, Katies, to be honest. Yeah. But... No, come on, let's not one compare. Of, one of my ten uh, wives. Although she's probably... She's probably better at uh, building a, a Model F1 car than oh, you, Katie, 100%, would you say? Definitely. Yeah, 100%. But Katie Fairman, the WTF1 editor as well. So, uh, guys, welcome. We're going to be talking about that time when Kimi Raikkonen won the Japanese Grand Prix from 17th. So, uh, well, before we went live, I was going to say it's a comeback drive, but you're not saying it's really a comeback drive. It's just more... Well, well it, it is. is. Yeah. Technically, I would call it yeah, comeback. Yeah, it's a comeback drive, but some people associate comeback drive now with, I guess... Say like recently we've had the Grosjean news where you know he was in that horrendous crash and he's um, you know survived the crash and got over uh, his the burns on his hands and same with the the Correa thing people maybe associate that with comeback but also yeah it is a comeback in terms of a racing comeback the race sort of thing yeah. right yeah it within the race um, also obviously wearing the WTF one beanie because we're in lockdown and the hair is getting very long so uh, you know rather than just sorting it just pop on a WTF one beanie where's your beanie Tommy I, I don't huh I know I you don't, don't do like hats. hats well you should uh, and Katie where's yours I hmm? actually love beanies so I'd be definitely down to getting a WTF one beanie but at the moment Perfect. I've just left it go to shop.wtf1.com to find <laughs> out more right anyway nice uh, what was what was Formula One like back in 2005? Uh, we had teams running one set of tyres for an entire race, but they could refuel back in the day of refuelling. My goodness me, that feels like a long time ago now. Um, but but 2005, you know, 15 years, 15, oh, no, well, kind of 16, 16 almost yeah. years ago. ago. Oh my that was god, a little ten year old Katie. But give us give us an insight as to what what 05 was like for you, Tommy. You must have been what 42 then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a as a yeah Fernando Alonso fanboy, um, enjoying him in the Renault V10 engines, and yeah, this this was an era in the mid two thousands. Um, if anyone went went through that that era, it was very much Formula One just changing a lot of rules, qualifying, seem, uh, the point system, anything to just stop Michael Schumacher and Ferrari winning the title by such a huge margin and so much ended up changing and then yeah they introduced this very strange thing which only lasted for one year which was teams would have to you you actually qualified on your tyre and then you run it the entire race this is obviously before Pirelli so they would last and uh, the strategy came and was from quali- fuel qualifying because qualifying itself, actually, we're going to get into that, aren't yeah. we? But it wasn't as simple as everybody everybody knows. Yeah. But yeah, 05, as you say, was a, was a strange year where it was like, just stop Ferrari. And I guess they eventually did because Alonso won the championship. Um, but it was Alonso versus Raikkonen um, and the first non-Shumi Ferrari title uh, since 1999. Um, so, yeah, sad Shumi noises, as always. Whenever we talk about Michael Schumacher not winning... Um, I, I don't like talking about it. Why do you always pick things, Tommy, for that time when <laughs> where I have to talk about Schumacher not doing well, huh? I know, all, this, all those races where he did well, but there was some era. 
I guess I'm... <laughs> to be fair, it's, it's not quite the same if it's that time when Michael Schumacher dominated another race. I don't think many people no. would... Uh, when he that. won from pole. <laughs> <laughs> There's Could no shortage race. of those, definitely. <laughs> um, so Alonso won the title at the previous round. So, you know, just, just Schumi and, I guess, Hamilton, th- Hamilton things where it didn't go down to the wire. Um, and Raikkonen and McLaren were fast, but McLaren, as they have been... A few times, well, with Hamilton as well. Sometimes we saw when he was at McLaren, where they they were they were really quick but unreliable, weren't they? It was Adrian Newey's uh, a classic Adrian Newey car of extremely fast, but would break down a lot. They had a lot of engine blips. You'd I'd probably argue the McLaren was the fastest car. It was just the very unreliable, and Kimi Raikkonen had a lot of races where he would retire from the lead, which is why Alonso won the title so comfortably. Yeah, Kimi could have probably won about 10 races that year, um, but instead reliability cost him three of those, so he had seven. Uh, but McLaren did win 10 races to Renault's eight, um, but in the end of the day, McLaren just just didn't get on with that car. Um, and like you say, Tommy, there were lots of issues and hiccups throughout the year, which cost Kimi the title that year. It did indeed. Um, we've actually mentioned just very briefly about the qualifying system. Let's dive into what that format actually looked like back in 2005. And it was a, it was a classic mid 2000s strange qualifying system. They love to just try and change something that wasn't really broken. Um, I actually really like what we have now as qualifying, uh, as a qualifying format. But um, back then they decided to do all co- kinds of things. Was the 2000s when they had the aggregate stuff as well and yeah. everything so, else? So that, yes. was this, I mean, that was this year. Um, but they ditched it. If anyone listened to, I think we did one about aggregate qualifying, uh, maybe about did, a year yeah. ago uh, now. I think it was audio. Audio, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that was the start of 2005 where you would do one lap qualifying on Friday, one lap qualifying on Saturday. They'd be added together. And then unsurprisingly, people didn't like it. The broadcasters didn't like the fact that quite a significant event was on a Friday when a lot of people were working and stuff. And it just didn't. It just got very confusing and silly. So they ditched that, but they still had this one lap qualifying where, yeah, you you start with your race fuel and tyres. And obviously this is when you had refueling. So that's when the strategy came in. Some people would short fuel, try and go for pole and have to make more pit stops. Some people might fill it to the brim and hope to go to go long. So. It's really strange when you look back at how qualifying has changed because maybe for some new fans, they'll think that what we have in place now is just what it's been like forever. But like you say, they experimented so much with different qualifying setups. Um, and this one in particular was definitely one of the worst. Like you say, two single lap qualifying runs, one on the Saturday afternoon on low fuel, the other Sunday morning when the cars would be fueled for the race. And that idea was dropped after six races in 2005 because the teams hated it, the fans hated it. It meant there was no drama on a Saturday. Um, and so instead they did the one lap qualifying on the Saturday to decide which what the grid would look like with the race tyres and the fuel. But yeah, super Sorry, yeah you're, yeah, you're right. I said I said it was Friday, Saturday, it wasn't. It was, it was Saturday, Sunday. And that's why everyone hated it because, yeah, Sunday morning kind of ruined that intrigue where you had a whole day to be excited for who was on pole and stuff whereas it was decided do you know what I mean imagine imagine yeah. now the end of Saturday you don't know who's going to be on pole it'd be a bit annoying yeah we've had it recently where like 
rain has stopped a qualifying session and stuff and you can see how much that shakes everybody up by not knowing who's on pole on a Saturday or whatever instead having to do it early on a Sunday but yeah this whole qualifying system was just so confusing <laughs> well I've just had a great idea that I'm sure you know everybody uh, agrees about maybe doing a, a full-blown WTF1 video on explaining all the qualifying formats over the years and how crazy some of them were I yeah, it would be, be good. A, a nice little video. Love so let, it. let us know in the comment section if you if you'd like to see that. You know, just I'm just doing podcasts, but also doing content at the same time. You know, just my brain never stops. Who's the anyway, guys can't um, qualify. Yeah. <laughs> I can't multitask <laughs> most of the time. Um, qualifying for the Japanese Grand Prix. Let's talk about that then, um, and the reason why Kimi Raikkonen started so low. But it wasn't the only person um, because it rained, um, so all the top runners had to qualify in the rain, which was. The, the beauty of one lap qualifying in some ways and the fact in the fact that not everybody had the same track conditions. So you had Schumacher qualifying 14th, Alonso qualifying 16th, Raikkonen 17th and Montoya 18th. Uh, so uh, clearly a little bit of a farce, to be honest, because I'm all for rain in qualifying. But when some people get rain and some people get dry conditions, it's just a bit of a mess. It's mad, isn't it, that reverse grids have been mentioned and the the argument is always, well, it's not fair. Whereas this was just, if it rains, deal with it. Um, because the order, uh, the, the thinking behind the one lap qualifying, it mainly got introduced because you used to have an hour long qualifying session and people would just wait in the pits and then the track rubbers in and it's better at the end. So their genius idea was one lap. So everyone's out all the time. So you get a full hour of qualifying and you get to watch every individual person. But the people they they wanted to disadvantage the top runners by making them go out first so the order was decided by the previous race result and because Alonso Raikkonen and Montoya were on the podium in the previous race that meant those three had to go out at the start to do their qualifying laps which is why they started 16th mm -hmm. 17th and 18th because it was raining and then the session dried up and then the people yeah. that got to go out later obviously had a dry dry session and were loads quicker one lap quality was kind of exciting though, I, I like it, it i liked some it ways. But I, this obviously I, I can see the the arguments which i mentioned about the fact it's a little bit of a fast because of the different track conditions but now that now that i said it out loud i was like yeah but it's also reverse mode, which is <laughs> yeah. quite fun mm -hmm. so because it also obviously gives people and drivers an opportunity to qualify on pole if they get the right track conditions it will be that way but i guess it has that element of unpredictability that that we all like um but i still i think i favor the q1 q2 q3 mm -hmm. thing um personally they were we do waiting have a similar oh sorry i was gonna sorry. say there is a similar um qualifying setup in formula e insert the katie talking about formula e klaxon here uh <laughs> but that's uh done by reverse sort of grid thing and all you hear is the top drivers moaning that they have to go out first because obviously the more people that go onto the track the better track conditions it's going to be for those that go on it last so um the drivers hate it but for us fans it's great see much for like variety in the the top of the qualifying and with the the race in japan fisher keller qualified third for this and he was fifth in so, the standings hold on hold on sorry oh. sorry what did you what was his name did you call him Fishy Keller? Yeah. <laughs> Fizzy Keller. I'm sorry. Oh. It's Fizzy Keller. Fizzy Keller. F Fishy Keller. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. I am so bad when it comes to pronouncing names. Like, <laughs> awful. This is why I'm a journalist and not a broadcaster, because I can type them. Fishy but Keller. I can't say right. them. Oh, that them. is brilliant. 
It sounds like something oh, you'd so order I, at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I interrupted your flow, but I had to because, yeah, I've never heard him. Honestly, that's all I ever seem to get. Anyway. Anytime I mention somebody's name, it's like, oh, Katie can't pronounce that one either. But yeah, <laughs> Fissy Keller. Sorry, Katie, carry on. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say, Fissy Keller qualified third and he was sat fifth in the standings. So he was okay sort of up in the top three there but all his competition was right back at the end of the end of the grid really yeah he was alonso's teammate in a renault and if you think he he started third and all his competitors were 16th 17th and 18th so unsurprisingly he was the favorite to win (laughs) and still didn't win (laughs) Um, let's talk about the race then uh and the and the early stages so uh when pablo montoya crashes early on uh, which was big for the Constructors' Championship, wasn't it, Tommy? Uh, yeah. Oh, Juan Pablo just... Yeah, so Montoya was too... Kimi's McLaren teammate at the time. And while Alonso had wrapped up the title, you still had the fact that the Constructors' title was still on the line. So this... Well, cause, yeah, because Katie said that it was what, 10 wins in the season. Yeah, exactly. McLaren, so they so. were pr- pretty even on points. So this was a massive opportunity for, well, Fizzy Keller, because he was <laughs> no one else was in the points. And the fact that Montoya had crashed meant that it was up to Raikkonen to sort of keep the Constructors' title alive, really. Yeah, we had a, the big crash from Montoya early on. Also, Sato, who was the home hero, he went off sort of in the first corner. Rubens Barrichello collected him. Um, Kimi also had a wobbly start. Like, it wasn't just a completely clean, you know, from 17th to 1st. He ended up going on the grass at one point. Alonso, being Alonso, had a mega start. Um, but yeah, the big shunt for Montoya in the final corner obviously brought out a safety car. Literally the entire left-hand side of the car was destroyed, essentially, which is not ideal when you're fighting for a constructor Championship and you've written off your car. One, uh, one right. sort of key moment from that as well was Ralph Schumacher started from pole in, in Toyota and he'd light-fueled, like we mentioned earlier, just mm. to get pole and hope he could run away and get the victory um and he he went for a three-stop strategy with basically going really light on fuel and the fact that the safety car came out it ruined that strategy immediately and his that was pretty much game over for his chance of victory straight away because he needed a, a clean race where the guys at the back were struggling and you just had a clean race where he could just race away at the front and pull a massive gap but the safety car ruined that for him Bad times. Well, yes, the risk you take, isn't it, with that sort Mm. of stuff? Um, The safety car ruins a lot of people's races, but also makes some people's races, like Raikkonen. Um, But yes, as you say, uh, Raikkonen did have a wobbly start, but Alonso and himself worked their way through the field. Um, And then, obviously, we have to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it. 130R, obviously a very iconic corner uh, around Suzuka, uh, and Fernando Alonso pulling an epic pass around the outside of Schumacher or whatever. I don't think it's that epic at all, to be honest. I think it's probably, yeah, it's, it's mediocre at best. They weren't even side-by-side side as they hit the apex. You know, it was clear. It was clear. It was a bit overhyped, really, that, that pass, to be honest. Schumacher could do nothing, had a terrible car. Anyway. Yeah, great uh, move. Any, any thoughts yeah, on great that? Yeah, great move. Um, it's obviously lied to Ron Fuel, but took massive bravery to go around the outside. And, yeah, he. this was back when 130R... One thing that's really noticeable... Um, when I watched back uh, like moments from this race, Suzuka now is one of those tracks where we don't tend to get particularly great racing because the cars are just flat out through the whole track and Formula One cars 
almost seemed to have like outgrown it a little bit. But this was back when the cars were a lot smaller, more nimble. Corners were actually corners. So 130R, you had to, it it was like marginal whether you lifted or took it flat. And it, it was more like You a, certainly weren't holding your wing mirror whilst taking <laughs> it one-handed. Yeah, was that Leclerc? Was that, did that? Yeah. Charles Leclerc, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, this... And basically, because of this, you had a lot more overtaking, which allowed Kimi and Alonso to carve their way through the field and overtake in places that I forgot Formula One cars could overtake around Suzuka because it's they were actually braking zones and things that don't <laughs> exist now. Um, but this Alonso move, yeah, was just absolutely incredible. Just took huge bravery to do it. It was absolutely stunning. Like watching it back, even now, it's one of those things. You know the outcome, but you still hold your breath because it's just amazing. Um, I don't. No, you just skip it. Oh, no, I don't even bother watching it. <laughs> Terrible overtake. But the cars, then, uh, I mean, they were just incredible, weren't they? Like even watching the race recap or whatever on YouTube, the sound that they make is just insane. Um, it was the final season of the uh, 3.0 litre V10 engine, um, which was used by all teams. But yeah, that was a pretty stunning overtake. Well done, Alonso. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Fernando, after being on our podcast, is also listening to this. Oh, yeah. Of he is. Hi, Fernando. <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about uh, the next stage of the race, which was the first the first pit stops, uh, where Raikkonen and Schumacher... Uh, pitted and, and got ahead of Alonso and um, it's almost like Tommy wants to literally attack me uh, with what he's written in this document about Alonso passing Schumacher again. Do you, what, does that even need to be mentioned? Yeah, it does because Raikkonen and Raikkonen no. and Schumi got ahead of Alonso in the pit stops. Yeah, but whatever. Like It's the same outcome. <laughs> Who, you know, you can say that Raikkonen stopped and got ahead of Alonso. Don't, don't bring Schumi into this. He had an inferior car. Yeah, he did. He did, to be fair. Um, yeah, for people that don't know, in 2005, the Ferrari was not up to scratch to say the least uh the only race he won was the u.s grand prix which we all know what happened there great you race go, one go of the best performances the, uh, i've ever seen put up about that so i'm sure everyone knows what happened there the most bizarre formula way formula, 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 formula one race of all time um so i'm doing a case <laughs> yeah. for this but this uh this era for people that that didn't watch it now we're used to uh cars pitting and when you pit first, you get a big advantage because everyone's on the same fuel load. You pit for better tyres, you come out, you've got better tyres, you're setting quicker laps, and you do the undercut. Yeah, it's called the undercut, isn't it? Yeah? Hmm. It is called the undercut, right? Yeah, okay. Um, and then... Were you actually No, it was. I couldn't remember. I couldn't... Like, I just wanted to 100% make sure. And then this... Did, did, formal, did your Formula 1 brain yeah, just switch off? But this we, era... All we had to that the, today. Yeah. This, this era, we had the overcut... So because you had different fuel levels and when you pit it, yeah, you, you go longer yeah, on. So, yeah. so what happened was Alonso was lighter on fuel, which Matt, I'm sure, will argue that's the only reason he overtook Alonso. Uh, sorry, Schumacher at 130 because he had a lighter car. Uh-huh. Uh, ran the outside and he was lighter, so he had to stop first, but he doesn't get the advantage because he then fills up with fuel, his car's heavier, and Raikkonen and Schumi could carry on through the race and pass Alonso when they eventually pitted because they could do a few extra laps on lighter fuel and and the tires weren't exactly well they went the yeah, whole they race, the whole they? race they so were incredibly durable fine. So. and they obviously had to go the whole race so yeah they came out ahead um so Raikkonen at this point had got ahead of Alonso finally and Alonso also passed Shumi and then Raikkonen and Alonso had finally sort of got more towards the top of the field 
Yeah, I think when you look back at um, pit stops then, you think, how can you have really like much strategy if you're not changing your tyres, you know, so many times throughout a race, but refueling was a huge part of it back then, which obviously doesn't exist anymore, which for safety reasons, which is probably for the best because there was some certainly harrowing scenes of people being a lit uh, with the fuel leaking and stuff. But like Tommy said, uh, the pit stops did prove to be quite a crucial point in this race. It did indeed, yeah. Massa Singapore comes to mind of uh, one particular blaze in the pit lane. Can't remember what year that was. Uh, it was his title challenging year. That's when he pulled the fuel nozzle out completely, wasn't yeah. it? And drove down the pit lane. Yeah, it was like 2007. Uh, 2008, sorry, it would have been 08 yeah, yeah. because Hamilton won the championship. Um, yes, uh, so it's, yeah, I think fuel was actually really intriguing mm. because of the fact that no one really knew what strategy. Well, I mean, the teams obviously had a good idea, but in, in terms of the spectator, you didn't know where people had qualified exactly in, on pure pace. And, it, and it, it did have an element of mystery that I really liked because of the fact you didn't really know when they were going to pit. Obviously, you know, you had hints from pit lane reporters and whatnot, but it did have that air of mystery of, oh, OK, well, you know, Fisichella is in the lead, but can he go all the and way? And it or, mixed you know, up like, whatever. as well, because, you know, imagine, exactly. imagine now, um, while Mercedes have a big gap, if they decide, oh, we're going to do a one-stop and like put loads of fuel in or even go the full distance. Um and then you might, you know, Verstappen might gamble and light light fuel his car to get pole, try and pull away. So yeah, you had that strategy element as well. But then the problem was with raised tinted glasses at this era, everyone just complained, oh well, everyone's just overtaking in the pit lane because of fuel. So yeah, yeah, yeah. pros and cons. We're never satisfied, no. are we, Formula One fans? We never are satisfied. <laughs> whatever it is. You know, I reckon if we had side by side action all the time, we would eventually start complaining that there's too much well, action. Well, we, we did. Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Oh yeah, it true. Was, when all the tyres died. Too much of a lottery. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, oh there's eighty overtakes a lap. I hate this. I can't keep up. It wasn't eighty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. Too much. But um, anyway, back to the race. Eight laps to go. Okay, Kimi Raikkonen goes long into the race as we mentioned. Going long into a race is actually good because. Uh, you have lower fuel load when everybody else has pit and has potentially, well, most likely higher uh, fuel loads left at that stage. And uh, he came out in second, so 17th to second with eight laps to go. But he was a long way back, wasn't he, Tommy? He was. So when, so yeah, like Raikkonen had gone longer and that meant, like I say, when he, he managed to get a little bit of clean air so he could pump in fastest laps. And at this point, there was a 20-second gap between... Uh, Fisichella had a 20-second lead, essentially, on Raikkonen um, before Fisichella stopped for the final time. So when he went, this was Raikkonen's chance to just pump in loads and loads of fastest laps. He pitted, came out, and he was still probably, I I don't know the exact figure, but it was around six, seven seconds, something like that. So he still had a lot to make up in eight laps, yeah. It was. It was certainly all to play for and very nail-biting finish to a race, which sometimes in this modern era, we don't really get things like this. So certainly good to look back and um, get excited about this Kimi Raikkonen being almost like a piranha hunting down this, I guess, piece of meat. I don't really know what piranhas eat, but... (laughs) I I love how you've used a fish reference. Oh, no, stop! (laughs) I'm going to get so much abuse, aren't I? Yeah, absolutely not. Of course not. Our fans no. are more than They're nice. Very aren't you understanding. Guys? Come on. <laughs> um, so Alonso passes Weber this time, not Schumacher, to get up into third. 
Uh, and Raikkonen closes up behind Fischi Keller uh, with three laps to go. Uh, and he took a second a lap out of him. And, uh, well, I remember this uh, this actual move. But let's let's talk about a few moves that, that Raikkonen tried beforehand. Or at least Fischi Keller thought Raikkonen was trying uh, in the final few laps. Where Fischi Keller defended fresh air into the chicane twice. Um, and I assume the second time, Tommy, uh, Raikkonen took advantage of that and just swept round the outside of turn one yeah so Raikkonen like you said closed the gap to within a second um taking huge no DRS yeah, remember? no DRS and with two yeah two laps to go um Raikkonen was on the on the back of his Ikella, but Suzuka we know even in these cars it, and no DRS it was it was still really difficult to overtake even though Raikkonen had this huge advantage and heading into the yeah p- penultimate lap physicella <laughs> basically defended the inside of the chicane so if you know suzuka there's the final chicane and then leading onto the long straight and raikkonen was never going to go down the inside there there was he wasn't close enough but physicella defended essentially like like you say defended fresh air and completely compromised his line through the chicane so raikkonen could essentially straighten off the chicane, get an amazing run on him. And it allowed him to be really close up to Fisichella. So that was the first part of the move. And then on the final, coming into the chicane for the second to last time, he went for that move again. And Fisichella, again, defended nothing. And Raikkonen was just like, okay, I'll just take the chicane normally. And just could take it so much better, have an amazing run down the straight. And he sweeped around the outside and... I remember Martin Brundle on the commentary was was seemed genuinely annoyed at Fisichella, like, what are you doing? You're defending fresh air. And to this day, I do genuinely think that if Fisichella had just taken the chicane normally, I don't think Raikkonen would have won the race because he compromised his exit so much that it just gave Raikkonen the opportunity to overtake him. It was such a ridiculous decision for defensive driving. It was. It is weird looking back at it, isn't it? I mean, Kimi obviously was able to catch Fisichella um, in these last few laps. I've got to think about saying that name now. <laughs> um, but even with his uh, defensive driving and, and silly driving from him, you know, Kimi was close. He was on his tail all the time, just waiting for his chance. But um, frustrating for many fans, I'm sure. Um, Fisichella just gave him the chance by his unusual lines that he was taking and like you say, on that final lap when he managed to get past. Um, Brundle was pretty miffed at it, um, but I think it's James Allen that I was listening to on commentary. He just couldn't believe it that he'd actually managed to get past. But Kimmy, I think, and I had this as a final thought because I've prepped my final thought, Matt, in case you ask, but I'll, Ooh, I'll wow. mention it. I know, okay. I know. I'll mention it a little bit I haven't bit even now. mentioned the word. Straight in. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of people maybe new fans to the sport see Kimmy as this quite grumpy and sarcastic guy and you know we all know the clip from Drive to Survive where he says oh I see this more as a hobby and stuff like that but this kind of stuff is a reminder of how good that he can be on his day you know um to go from 17th to first yes there were probably little perks that happened along the way that able to push him up a few places but um this is one of the the best sort of comeback stories as we said at the beginning of this podcast um and you know hat off to Kimmy because he did a a stunning job on this day I I still think 
McLaren era Kimi Raikkonen was the best Kimi ever drove and even better mm-hmm. than the A1 the title personally yeah this, this was when he was yeah drove these kind of drives where he was just such an exciting driver like the wheel banging with Fisichella and the fact that even though the championship had gone you know some people might be like oh, I'm 17th but the fact that he raced through the field and won this incredible race fair fair play to him good lad well done Kimmy um, where does it rank in the best F1 races ever uh, difficult to say because it depends on exactly what you measure as a good F1 race and it's almost up there as as a debate of who's the best F1 driver mm. I don't think you can truly measure uh, if it, you know what is the best F1 race but certainly in terms of a fight through the field uh, and from a personal driver performance, I think it's right up there uh, for Kimi. And as you say, Tommy, I think he was absolutely in his prime uh, at McLaren and, and should have won the title in 2005 had it not been for McLaren tripping over themselves a little bit. But maybe they, with the fact that the car was so fast, maybe they took a few risks with reliability and it didn't pay off. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it was a, an awesome uh, race. Probably not the best because it didn't involve Schumacher doing well. Uh, but you know, <laughs> apart from that, yeah, good drive, Kimmy. Yeah, the, it's for me. It's right up there with, especially the fact that it was a dry race. You, a lot of banging races tend to be, but it wasn't a dry, it wasn't qualifying, a dry qualifying. So it's all down to reverse exactly. grids. I can understand why people, you know, use this as a, a theory that reverse grids could be good for Formula One because it's exactly what you want. You want the best drivers in Formula One, and we got to see, albeit. Schumacher wasn't in a in a great car but we still got to see glimpses from Schumacher as well that the best drivers in F1 the Schumi, Kimi and Alonso essentially coming from the back of the field making brilliant overtakes coming through the field and in Formula 1 like Katie mentioned earlier it's pretty rare that you get a last lap overtake for the win very rare and that's pretty much as good as it gets in Formula 1 for me when when you still Mm. don't know who's going to... It's very rare in Formula 1, isn't it, that you don't know who's going to win until the final lap. So the fact that this came down to that very final lap and it was a move for the win, yeah, Mm. what what a race. That's one of the things that made Monza last year so special is that we had that last lap battle between Science and Gasly. I mean, there was many things that made that race so unbelievable, but yeah, when you can have a, a fight on the last lap doesn't get much better than that but I think Matt's right in that ranking the best races ever is similar to saying who's the best world champion ever who's the best driver or whatever because there are so many variables that go into making a race great from having refueling as part of the strategy to you know other things um obviously you know a good race when you see it (laughs) and this is one of those um so yeah I think probably probably in the top 10 would you say? Oh, I would personally. Yeah. But again, it's all it's all opinion, sure. isn't it? Really? Yeah, so. that's true. But yeah, well, yeah, Shimmy won ninety-one races, so I'd say this is ninety-seven. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. The Shumi bias in this one has been strong, but just know, everybody, I am joking. It was a great, uh, great race from Kimmy. Um, so there you go. Well, thanks so much, guys, for your for your your insights. Uh, final thoughts, <laughs> Tommy. God's sake. Um, <laughs> Yeah, watching so watching this race back, it's one of those um, races where it made me realise that a lot of the older tracks where we potentially haven't seen 
good Formula One races in a while, like Suzuka, Montreal, Albert Park, maybe you'd argue as well. It just shows that when the cars are better, you can get better racing. So it made me hopeful that in 2022, when we have hopefully cars that can follow each other better, they're not as quick. So hopefully corners are actually corners again, that these classic tracks can actually produce some some banging races like this again because i feel like it's been a very long time since we had a really really good race at suzuka mm. and that yeah, goes for a lot fair. of tracks like that yeah and katie so my final any, thought any more final thoughts to add your final thoughts final, thoughts, said your final thoughts but yeah but the thing is you don't you don't get to choose when your final thoughts come okay, okay. Uh, this is now where your final thoughts okay. are okay so my final thoughts part two, (laughs) Um, is that this is probably going to be Kimi's last year in F1. Um, I've not been hopeful that he's sort of finished his... um, This is the part where I get cancelled, by the way. But I think Kimi's somebody that probably should have left one a couple of years ago. Um, And don't get me wrong, the guy is a brilliant racer and examples like this just prove that. And like Tommy said, this McLaren um, Kimi was prime Kimi. But... um, yeah, I think it's just nice to have a look back at some of his better moments because although he does have absolute, like, the stunning start we saw in Portugal last year, for example, proof that maybe he has still got it. But, yeah, I think... He's a bit more of a meme now, isn't he, than actually... Yeah. yeah. A, lot, a lot of people remember him for yeah. him being drunk at an FA press conference <laughs> rather than him doing amazing stuff like this now i guess yeah eating a chocolate being ice. a literal world champion yeah that too yeah uh, which i think is all also kind of yeah i think a lot of people to the side forget. is that he's actually yeah. a world champion as well <laughs> um but but yeah no I, you know, I don't blame kimmy to be honest i feel like he's genuinely in a place where he still enjoys mm. racing he doesn't really care if he wins uh, and he just wanted to go back to a team that you know back to his roots pretty much so i don't blame him at all um, and I don't think he gives two hoots about his legacy, oh, to be no. honest. Um, because, well, I mean, if you've looked at any interview ever, you can see that I don't think he really cares about what other people I think of him. I reckon he's watching he his has podcast fun. crying his eyes out, to be honest. Oh, well, Kimmy, if you are, <laughs> I don't know if you'd want me to apologise, because I don't think you actually fully no, care. Have a, on, have a ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Katie just getting that recycle bin out. Let's, let's go. He knows what he's see doing. What old memes are in there. <laughs> right. Anyway, let's close this podcast down uh, before Katie says anything else. <laughs> Upset all the world champions that are watching this podcast. Ah, it's all good. Right. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening. Make sure to give us five stars or a thumbs up or wherever you are in the world listening or whatever platform. Just give us whatever is a positive rating. Uh, also, you know, if you have any uh, suggestions for future That Time Wens, use the hashtag WTF1 podcast as well as any comments or just want to give us some love. Make sure to follow us on all our social platforms, which are on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, like, follow. Literally loads of things to do if you haven't done any of those. And uh, we'll see you next time for another That Time When podcast. Thank you so much, Tommy and Katie. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye, I'm waving. Bye. Bye. I'm waving. I'm Did we find out if you're waving to the right box, Matt? Nope, still haven't checked. Wow. Nice <laughs> Bye. Bye. Who would watch this content? <laughs> Bye. Not Kimmy.